0: You know, it's been said um, many times, many different preachers, many different writers have said that the Christian life is not a playground, but it's a battleground. You stop and think about that for a moment. The Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. I was actually talking to Mark before service and said, You know, when you make this kind of commitment to Christ in baptism, many believe, oh no, now my life's going to get great, things are going to be beautiful, all my problems are going away. But the truth of the matter is, Now he's just kind of drawn a line in the sand and he's entered into the battleground. And many times the evil one's going to come stronger after you when you say, I want to get on God's path. I I want to be on God's plan. I want to walk in his purpose. We're learning, how do I have joy by living the single mind of Christ that we see in Philippians chapter 1? How do I have joy in the battleground, so to speak, of life? How do I still have that joy in Christ? In the first 11 verses of Philippians, we learn that we are sons and daughters who enjoy a Fellowship of the gospel. There's a fellowship of the gospel, and there's joy that comes in that by being in that relationship. And then we tackle verses 12 through 26 over a two-week span, and we're discovered that we are servants who share in the furthering of the gospel, and we and we work together in a single mind. And that single mind should look beyond circumstances and strive to look to results. The Apostle Paul, circumstances to, in prison chained to a Roman soldier. He's looking beyond that circumstance and going, well, the results are more and more people are coming to know God, coming to know Christ as Savior. And so he looked beyond his circumstances. And so our call is, how do we look beyond our current circumstances of life to go, let's look at the purpose of the gospel and the spreading of the gospel. Paul also saw that it's time to look past personalities, because there are some personality conflicts to see God's plan. And in the church, let's be honest, sometimes there's personality conflicts. Um, Within a church or within a city, there can be personality conflicts. Well, this church does it this way, and this church does, does it this way. And Paul's call was, hey, let's be excited if Jesus is being preached, and the gospel is being furthered, even though different personalities, different styles, different way to go about carrying the message. But remember, we still see God's bigger plan. And then in those verses, we also discovered that we need to look beyond the temporary to see the eternal. Paul saw his situation in prison or his situation of being shipwrecked or his situation of being beaten as a very temporary thing. He anyway, went, I'm looking to the eternal. I'm looking to, to heaven. I'm looking beyond what I'm going through. And the call is let's look beyond what we're walking through right now and look to what we see in the future, that is heaven and those who we minister to who, who get to come to heaven. Today I want us to see that we're soldiers who defend the faith of the gospel. Our job is to defend the faith of the gospel. A believer with a single mind, a focused mind, can have joy of the Holy Spirit in the midst of the battle. And whether that be a battle, like things going on just in life that we don't know, is that because of Satan? Is that God allowing that to happen? Is it actually spiritual warfare coming after us? Whatever the battle is, you go, I can have joy in the middle of that. And Paul uses the terminology, the faith of the gospel. What is he talking about, that terminology, faith of the gospel? It's a divine truth that is given to the church. It, it's Jude. It's what Jude called in Jude chapter 3, the faith which once was delivered unto the saints. That's how Jude used the term. Paul warned the young preacher Timothy that said, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. He was warning. he's like, listen, there's going to be some people who believed in the faith. What is that faith? Jesus Christ. There's some people who believe in the faith, and they're going to wander away from it in the latter times. I'd venture to say... That us in this room, or if you're joining us on social media, we probably know somebody at one time was walking in Christ and they've wandered, fallen off the path, or they've even turned their back on God. Paul warns about that. He said, in the latter days, you're going to see that happening. Uh, God committed this spiritual treasure and this responsibility to who? First to the disciples, then he gives it to Paul And Paul's now passed it on to Timothy. And they're like, listen, this faith of the gospel, it's a great responsibility to pass it on to others. And through the years, it's been passed on from one person to another person, from one generation to another generation, that now it's our responsibility. In the year 2020, our responsibility to carry this faith of the gospel. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then this faith of the gospel, carrying this message, defending this message, is passed on to you and me. And we have a responsibility, so it's important that we disciple one another, we teach one another and the Word of God. And that's what Paul is doing here in the Philippian church. In our text today, Paul brings a warning, and then he brings an encouragement. There's an enemy who's out there to steal and destroy this faith of the gospel. There's an enemy who doesn't want it to spread, which has been given to us. Paul has met that enemy, that enemy in Philippi that has him now arrested, had him being facing trial, had him chained to a Roman soldier. The enemy was like, can we stop Paul? Because if Satan can can rob people of their Christian faith, then the doctrines, the the truth of the faith would be stopped, it would be watered down, it would not continue to spread, it would be crippled. And so what we believe is especially important. And so Paul's reminding and he's determining, listen, what do you believe in and are you standing for that? See, I I think what we believe determines then how we behave. And and Paul is, is talking about this. Paul's like, if you believe this, then you should live a certain lifestyle because wrong belief actually means wrong living. And Paul starts challenging the church in Philippi, you say you believe in Jesus, are you living that? And each local church, I think, is just one generation away from extinction. Just one generation. It's no wonder that Satan attacks our young people today. Satan attacks our young people, trying to get them discouraged from being in the faith. And how many young people... Hit that age, 17, 18, 19, 20, go off to college or go off to whatever uh, decision of life, and they wander away from the faith. Many to never return back to it because there's an attack against the church. How, how can a group of Christians fight this enemy? That's what Paul's dealing with. He's like, This enemy is a lie. This enemy is active. The Bible says our weapons are warfare, they're not of the flesh. You remember Peter? In the garden, what do you do? He pulled out a sword, cuts off a man's ear, and Jesus says, no, 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 that's not how we're going to do things. As Jesus puts the ears back on, right? He says, we're not going to battle the flesh. Ephesians and Hebrews tells us that we use the weapons of God's word and prayer, and we must depend upon the Holy Spirit to give us the army we need, the ability, and the power we need to fight. And so this army, we must fight together in unity, and that's why Paul uh, sent these instructions to the Church of Philippi. Look look at me. Look with me at the text, verse 27, chapter 1, in the book of Philippians. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith, there it is, for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. I look at these three short verses, and in them I see some essentials that we must grab onto, I think, to stand in victory in this battle to protect and to spread the faith, to to have that single mind. So let's tackle these together. First, number one, I think Paul tells us, we need to live a consistent life. Look at the first part of verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. I mean, Paul's writing back to the church in Philippi, he's like, listen, no matter what's going on, No matter what the attack is, no matter what the difficulty is, no matter what the struggle is, you must conduct yourselves in a mindset that's worthy of the gospel. In other words, your lifestyle must show that if you say, I believe in Jesus as my Savior, then there must be a lifestyle that follows that. The old preacher says the most important weapon against the enemy is not a stirring sermon or a powerful book. It is the consistent life of believers. I think sometimes we struggle today of the the power of the gospel, because of the lack of consistency in believers and Christians today. The verb Paul used is related to our word politics. He was saying, believe the way citizens are supposed to behave. We're, we're citizens of a greater community. Uh, maybe this is a good example. A few years ago, our friends Dwight and Brenda Hackworth invited us to go up to Notre Dame, and participate in the Notre Dame Michigan football game, and I, obviously you all know I'm a big Michigan fan. He's a big Notre Dame fan. He had the tickets. I was like, "You're paying for this, and you're taking us. How can I possibly say no?" And so we went up, Brian and I, and spent the day walking around Notre Dame campus and participating in the activities of the day. And it was a, it was an amazing day. We had a we had a great trip. Unfortunately, the game was terrible as our tails were handed to us as we got whipped that day. But it's always interesting to sit and watch the fans. Most were very cordial. Notre Dame fans were very cordial, unlike OSU fans who have been there too, and they're not quite so cordial, let me just say it that way. They're not as nice. But we were there, and it was great. We sat down in the southwest corner of the end zone. Our seats were just uh, a few rows off the end zone. We are so close. We, I, mean, we, I could have almost reached out and touched Hines Ward and Doug Flutie, who are the announcers of the game. They're on a sideline down doing a TV commentary. We're surrounded by a ton of Notre Dame fans, and there's just a few spatterings of Michigan fans since we weren't in the Michigan setting. But, you know, all you're wearing your gear, so you know who's who and, uh, because you're obviously identified. And I look over just one aisle and down a row or two, and there's this Michigan fan down there that just made us all look bad. Throughout the entire game, he's, he's yelling vulgarities, uh, using terms that, that should not be used by anybody, um, using signals, uh, one finger, that should not be used by anybody. And, and the whole time, I just wanted to go down there, and I wanted to say, would you quit it? Would you quit be, being a jerk? Would you quit acting like this? Because uh, you, you're kind of embarrassing me. And my friend, who's the Notre Dame fan, looks over at me, and he says, just like a Michigan fan. And I said to him, now don't lump us all together just because of one idiot. What does that have to do with the scripture this morning? Paul is suggesting that we as Christians, we're citizens of heaven. We're part of a greater community. And while we're here on earth, that we must behave like we're part of that citizenship. Like we're part of that community. He brings this up again in Philippians 3.20. This would be a very meaningful expression to the people in Philippi because Philippi was part of a Roman colony and its citizens were actually Roman citizens protected by Roman law. And the church of Jesus Christ is a colony of heaven that's located here on earth and we must behave like citizens of heaven, not citizens of earth. Paul's like, what is going on back there in Philippi? Why would he be writing these words? Maybe he caught some wind of them not behaving that way. And we should ask ourselves, am I conducting myself in a manner worthy of the gospel? We we should walk worthy of the calling that we have. This means that we walk in a way that is pleasing to Christ. Father God, does my life represent you the way you want me to? And if the Lord says, no, look at A, B, or C in your life, then it's time to make some adjustments and some changes. Now, I could come to you as your preacher and say, listen, you need to change this and this and this. And you can look at me and go, Brian, when the Lord tells me to, I'll change that. But if I were to come to you and open up the Bible with you and say, the Lord wants us to live this way. God might be using that as an avenue in our lives to say, yeah, maybe I need to make some adjustments and changes. Why? Because we are citizens of heaven. We do not behave in order, though, to go to heaven. Let's not get that mixed up because some people go, well, I'm not behaving good enough. If I'm not behaving good enough. Then God's going to give me all these X's and I'm not going to go. No. We don't get saved by our good works, we're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, right? We're saved by his death, his burial, his resurrection. We're saved by But because we are saved and because of what he did, we say, I want to live my life in a way that honors him. And Paul says, are you doing that? Are you living your life in a way that's worthy of the gospel? The old poem says, you are writing a gospel, a chapter each day. By the deed that you do and the words that you say, men read what you write, whether faithful or true. Just what is the gospel according to to you, what is the gospel? You know, we throw that, that word around in church, but to the, to the non-church-going person, if, if you're walking them and say, what is the gospel? They're probably going to look at us like we're foreigners. You know why? Because we are. We're supposed to be. This, this life's not our home. This life's what we're passing through. But, but let's just talk about the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Christ Jesus died on the cross for us. And Paul says, are you living a life that's worthy of that? There's only one good news of salvation, and any other gospel is a false gospel. And the verse we talked about last week, Paul says, if they're preaching Jesus, I'm excited about that, but there are some other passages like, listen, if they're not preaching Jesus, then let's talk about that. See, the message of the gospel is the good news is that all sinners can be saved of their sin. All sinners can be saved of their sin that would... God gave His Son Jesus a die on a cross. He came and died on a cross for every single one of us. John three sixteen, a verse that many of us know. For God so loved the world that He what? That He gave His only Son. That whoever, whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. There was not a qualification of well, you got to do this and this and this and this and this and this. Put our belief in Jesus Christ. Now, add anything to that gospel deprives of his power we're not saved from our sins by faith in christ plus something else we are saved by our faith in jesus christ paul says keep that straight paul says keep that going the 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 church member said the pastor we we have some neighbors who believe a false gospel do you have some literature i can give them pastor opened his Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and read, You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. He went on and said, The best literature in the world is no substitute for your own life. Let them see Christ in your behavior, and this will open up opportunities to share Christ's gospel with them. Because the greatest weapon against the devil is a godly life. If you were the Michigan fan, a couple rows down, Someone's behind you looking at your life. Would there be embarrassment, or would they be excited, and going? You know what? I'm excited about the way they live the gospel. I'm excited about the way they live for Christ. See, I think a local church that practices this truth, individuals within that church who practice the truth, who be, who who believe so much that they say, "I want to behave in a way that honors and respects a worthy of the gospel," as Paul talking about, living a consistent life. That's when a church wins the battle. That's when you win the battle. That's when we together win the battle. Essential number two, Paul calls us to, is to be one in Christ in verse 27. Paul now changes that illustration from an illustration of politics to an illustration of athletics. And the word translated there actually means striving together. It gives us our English word where we get our our word athletics. And Paul pictured the church as a team And and he's reminding them that it's teamwork that brings victories. It is teamwork. It's a team that that knows their parts and knows their role. And he's keeping in mind that they're probably dealing with some division in the church. Now, we haven't made our way to chapter 4 yet but chapter 4 and verse 2 we start seeing there's some division there's a couple ladies who are having a disagreement of some kind is causing separation and that separation is hindering the work of the church there's a few people that are taking sides of this lady and there's a few people taking sides of this lady and so because of that they're arguing about the issue instead of talking about jesus an enemy loves to see internal divisions And Paul's like, listen, you cannot have internal divisions. What color is the carpet? What about plastic chairs or padded chairs? What about this way to do ministry or that way to do ministry? No, let's get past all these arguments and let's focus on Jesus. Throughout this letter, Paul uses this interesting uh, device to emphasize this importance of unity. In the original Greek letter, uh, he uses the prefix son, which means with together. When used... With different words, it strengthens the idea of unity. And at least 16 different times, Paul uses that prefix in Philippians, and his readers could have not have missed the message. matter of fact, in verse 27, it would read more accurately, "Striving together as athletes. Striving together as athletes." Now if you stop and think about it, and it, you all know, I'm a sports fan, and I've been tracking, OK, what's going on here with Major League Baseball? Hey, my Tigers have started off five and three. I'm like, how's that happening? They're picked to be last in their division. Now, they've still got a lot of games left, but they have a bunch of average players, and right now they're playing okay. You look at UK football. All the talk right now is how great UK football could possibly be. They have a great offensive line. They have a great defensive line. They have some great special team players, a good quarterback, and their potential is so strong, even though they're going to do SEC in 10 games, but still they could really have a great season. You know what could stop that season from being great? Division. You could take a great four- and five-star athletes and put them on a field. And they're supposed to win a lot of games, be very competitive, maybe win a bowl game, win a championship of some kind, whether it be UK or Alabama, whoever it is. You can put them on the field and have all these great athletes, but if there's some who says, no, I want my glory, I want to do it my way, I don't want to listen to the coach, that team could be haphazard or average at best. On the other side of that, you could take a bunch of two- and three-star athletes and put them on the field and say, well, they may win a couple games. You can get them together where they want to work hard, though, and they dream big, and they listen to the coach, and they have a vision together, and they work in unity. And you can take a team with a bunch of average athletes, and you can win a championship. It's happened, and many of you probably have probably seen an example or maybe been part of it. I think it's fair to say that what Paul is trying to tell us is, listen, the local church is a team. The, the body of Christ is a team. And all of us have different roles and all of us have different abilities. And our job is to understand our roles and our abilities and, and follow the, the leadership of the church and work within your roles and work within your abilities. And I'll say the same thing I said at first service. I think many of you in this room are here because you're like, I understand I'm part of the team and I'm trying to do what I can to, to do the best to serve as a team member. This COVID situation is challenging. It's challenging as we come to church week in and week out. We look across and say, well, there's a few. It's challenging. And let me just say to those who are with us on social media today, I'd greatly encourage you to get off social media and come join us in live. I think it's time. I think it's time to overcome fear. I think it's time to walk in faith. And I understand some are having a hard time with that, but I think some are using social media maybe as just an excuse or an easy way to attend church. God is calling us to come together as the team right now and come together so we can accomplish His mission and His task and and carry forth that faith of the gospel. And we need to work together in that because we are citizens of heaven. It's hard to work together when we're just kind of doing over computer, over the Zoom, we're kind of spread out. There's more of a need for us to come together. Being wise about that. If I had everybody in this room stand up and turn around and face the camera, you'd see everybody in this room has a mask on today. If you came in here today, you would see that there's people who are wiping off things and cleaning things. Why? They're saying, that's my role on the team right now. There were people, I, I see Becky out here. I peeked in with the kids. A kid played with some toys. She had the light saw right there. As soon as that kid was done, she was spraying and cleaning toys. I was like, man, she is on top of it. Just trying to care about the team member's and God has given us a huge task, and the task has not been stopped. He hasn't told us we're done yet. But unfortunately, between COVID and the different challenges that has brought, it, it has slowed down, I think, the impact of the gospel. It's time for the team members to, to come together. Secondly, Paul, or thirdly, Paul says to be incur- confident and encouraged. Verse 28 says, Don't be frightened by those who oppose you. Another translation says, don't be alarmed by your opponents. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, you're a team and you're stepping on the field. Don't look across the field and see, wow, they look awful big or they look awful fast. My son playing high school football, I can tell you many times I sat on a sideline and I lean over my wife and go, how are we going to do against this team? They look really big over there. Are you see how many players they have? And in my head, I'm going, we're going to get it handed to us. My son's teams, man, they played a couple years, three years in a row and lose one or two games a year. They were smaller, maybe not faster, but they played well as a team. We in the church, we can't look at our enemy and go, man, that Satan, that evil one, he's got some awful big tricks. He's smarter, he's craftier, he has this. What are we going to do? Paul says, listen, you be encouraged. See, the word Paul used here pictures a horse that's shying away in battle. Paul's like, the horse can't. These verses give us several encouragements to be confident in the battle. Look at verse 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here I still have. Paul tells us in verse 29 he says, Listen, the battle is part of proving that, that we're saved. So what do you mean? Paul's saying, listen, if you're in a battle, that's showing that you're battling for Christ. And so be excited about that. Be encouraged. Have confidence because I wouldn't be in a battle Satan's it's not going to come after me if I'm really not living for Christ. Paul called this the fellowship of his sufferings in Philippians 3.10. He's like, you're going through sufferings. For some reason, many new believers have this idea. You become a believer and everything's going to be great. And Mark and I talked about that just briefly. New, putting his faith in Jesus, being baptized, that doesn't mean it's all going away. John 16, tells us that we will have trials and we will have tribulations. 2 Timothy says that when you live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of warnings. Paul is telling us in verse 29 that if you live for Christ, you're going to suffer. It's not going to be easy street. I think on the other side of the coin, we can ask ourselves, if I'm not suffering for Christ... Well, what does that mean about my walk with Christ? It's a good question for us to wrestle with. If I'm not suffering for His name, that doesn't mean I haven't spoken His name. If I'm not suffering for His name, it doesn't mean I'm not living out His name. But Paul's saying, "Listen, if you're suffering for His name, that's a good thing." Because he also goes on in the presence of conflict. He says he calls it a privilege. A privilege. We suffer for a sake. In fact, Paul told us that conflict is granted to us as a gift. Here's your gift today. Open it up. That's someone sending you some hate mail because you stood for Jesus. Here's your gift today. Open it up. Oh, you just lost your job and got fired because you stood for Jesus. Oh, here's your gift. Open it up. Oh, you just got an F on that paper because you're in college and you spoke about Jesus. And the professor said, not in my class. I mean, those are gifts that when you you say, I'm going to stand for Jesus, I'm going to speak for Jesus, he said, you consider that a privilege. And if we're suffering for Christ, he's like, you can be encouraged about that. You can be excited about that. He suffered for us. Christ suffered for us. The disciples suffered for us. Paul suffered for us. All these great people of faith who have gone before us, there's been suffering. And Paul's like, listen, we should expect no difference. If we're going to live for Christ, then we should expect that suffering's going to come and consider it a privilege. And Paul says, find encouragement because others are experiencing the same conflict. See, Satan wants us to think that we're in this battle alone, that we're, do, that we're doing this alone. Oh, I, I went to the party, and I didn't participate in all the activities of the party. I wasn't drinking, and I wasn't, wasn't participating in the course joking, and my friends kind of said, well, why are you doing that? Well, because I believe in Jesus, and, and, and I'm not going to participate in that, but you'll still be your friend, and then you'll get invited to the party anymore. Oh, I can't believe that. No, you know, it's not just happened to you, it's happened to other people oh, I got passed over for the raise because they know about my faith and they gave it to somebody else. Well, that's happened to other people. Paul's like, you, you, can, you can be excited about that because you're experiencing the same kind of conflict that they were experiencing. See, the enemy wants us to go to the point where we go, oh, this is just me. This, this is just my trial. This is just my struggle. Nobody else is going through it. i got to tell you, in this journey, just to be real with you as a preacher, when I look across and I see what's happening in the church in America right now, and I see what's happening at Centerpoint, and go, man, we're, we're, we're having less than half of the people that were here before are coming now there's sunday afternoons and there's mondays and i'm like god what is going on and why are we going through this and why me and and so difficult and i get in the poor me and then i call a friend on monday or tuesday who's a preacher and I'm like yeah that's what happened in my church i call someone else yeah that's going on in my church yeah that's going on in my church because this pandemic has put us all on the struggle bus together and trying to figure out how do you gather the church back together how do you get the church on mission, on focus, on purpose, all together to overcome the fear while we also still walk in the challenge and not knowing how long will the challenge go? Is this challenge from God? Is this challenge from the evil one? It's hard to say, isn't it? We don't know. At times I think this is all the evil one. At times maybe God has allowed this. I, I don't really know all the answers to that. I know what we're in right now is part of because we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. We live in a sin world, and a sin world has challenges, and one is medical challenges or health challenges like this. So what do we do with that? We be encouraged. We're not going through it alone. We're we're not going through that trial alone. So when you share your faith and there's a struggle with that, the enemy wants to get you discouraged and think, oh, it's just me. When you try to share your faith with somebody and they don't listen, try to share your faith with somebody and they don't want to have the conversation, it's not just you. I've tried to share my faith with some different folks and been doing it for ten years, twelve years, fifteen years. And they are like, Brian, I don't want to hear it. Literally told me, I don't hear it. You know what? At times that's good discouraging. I imagine some of you have people in your life like that. I don't want to hear it. Don't bring that Jesus thing. Don't be Jesus for got me. We can be friends, but I don't want to hear it. Paul says, Listen, we're in this together. See the single mind enables us to have joy. Why? Because it produces a consistent life. Like, okay, I'm going to have joy because I I live consistent. You know, the more consistent you live in your life, it brings joy because it does away with the turmoil of the mind and the heart. When we're not living for Christ or we're struggling, we're like, I'm supposed to be living for Christ, but I'm also choosing the world. That takes away joy. It's a whole lot easier to say, I'm going to live in Christ, or it's easier to say, I'm not going to live in Christ. So I think the Lord says, either be hot or cold. Don't be in the middle. That spot in the middle is really challenging. It struggles and takes away our joy. And so Paul says, you, it produces that consistent life, drives us towards unity. Say, so I want to accomplish that purpose, but then we live together in unity. And it develops our confidence. The more we do that, the more confident we become and we experience joy as we strive together.